It doesn't take death away. We are still here. Bring us a word about death, we pray. And may it be a word of hope. In your name, amen. Be seated, please. Have you ever wondered? Ever wondered what death tastes like? Hmm? How does death taste? Was it Ernest Hemingway who described the, the feeling of death as an inner cord snapping inside your chest and the sudden taste of metallic upon your tongue? What does death taste like? Miriam Stone, she's a young co-ed at Columbia University, student like many of you. She has written a nationally acclaimed book. The title of her book, At the End of Words, A Daughter's Memoir. It's a collection of her journal entries and, and poems that she composed during the year in which her mother died of breast cancer. And so in the book, there, there, there is the tumbling of emotion, the sorrow and the anger and the guilt and teenage grief. I want to share with you just a line from one of those journal entries and then a stanza from a poem she composed. First, the journal. Miriam. This is when she's visiting her prospective university. Turns out it's Columbia. This weekend, some of you are here visiting our campus on a campus tour. This weekend, we take a campus tour. Just mom, dad, a tour guide, a wheelchair, and me. I clumsily push her along the brick walkways and uneven sidewalks in the freezing gray air. She is wearing her huge fur coat, her tiny head protruding like a turtle's, her hands placed pleasantly on her lap as she nods approvingly at the size of the dorm rooms, the dark wood dining hall, the cavernous library, and the flight home is so short, she smiles. You'll be able to come back for weekends if you want. As Dad struggles to put the wheelchair in the trunk of a cab, I stand on the sidewalk to take one last look of what will become her university. I feel her gaze on me through the window. She never should have traveled with us. She's way too weak, but she, she had insisted on coming in her quiet, unquestionable way. I turn back toward the street and catch her eye. I haven't been accepted to school yet. She hasn't announced her death yet. But in that glance is our first goodbye. Miriam Stone wrote a poem entitled Blueprint. She treats her mother's life like a, like a piece of architecture. Let me just share a line or two. Stories like loose nails jut out from your structure. She's talking about her mom. Stories of mom's past. French rock stars, hippie boyfriends, the Beatles in Paris, St. John's in the 60s, Homer and Aristotle, an anorexic roommate, the Maryland air. Now I hoard your stories, scavenge for your words like water. I want the glue that holds you together. I need the architecture, the angles of your inside. I want to ask, what does love smell like? What color sky makes your skin melt? What does death taste like? And are you afraid? What does death taste like? And are you afraid? 
But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels, for the suffering of death crowned with glory and honor that He, by the grace of God, might taste death for everyone. What does death taste like? I have here in the pulpit with me the latest issue of Newsweek magazine. Cover story, Voices of the Fallen, the Iraq War in the Words of America's Dead. It's enough to make a parent dissolve into tears if you have a child in Iraq. We learned about some of this when our son-in-law, Andrew, deployed to Iraq at the beginning of February as a medic with the U.S. Army Rangers. Chrissy told us about what the soldiers are required to do. They're required to sit down with a spouse. They're required to sit down with their family. And they have to plan it all out. Plan your funeral. Where do you want to be buried? Who do you want there to notify your surviving spouse in the event of your death? Chrissy and Andrew sat on that tiny little living room sofa and had to fill out the answers. What I didn't know, I picked up from reading this. Read it at the bottom of the stairs as soon as I, as soon as I picked it up one night late after coming home. And I just tell you, the, the tears just well up. What I didn't know apparently is that the soldiers, before they deploy or once they've moved into their combat zone, are... are it is suggested to them that they write a letter to the family that will be given to the family only in the eventuality of death. Newsweek has taken, borrowed from some families, these precious last words of men, young men who are now dead. And they've, they've reproduced the letter so that you have it in the paper and you have it in the handwriting. And what does death taste like before you even die? Listen to this. This is from Lance Corporal Lance Graham from San Antonio, Texas, 26 years old, at 6 feet 5 and 240 pounds. His father said he made other people feel safe just by looking at him. He died on May 7, 2005, as a Marine near Haditha Dam when a pair of suicide bombers hit his convoy. And then his parents got this letter. Well, if you're reading this, I guess, I guess this deployment was a one-way trip. I just have a few things to ask. Please don't be mad at the Marine Corps. It was my choice to join and come here. Honest, honestly believe this is what I was meant to do. And another thing. Another thing I ask is that at my funeral, the Marine Corps hymn and Amazing Facts be played with the bagpipes. Nothing sounds better than, than the bagpipes playing Amazing Grace. I know that I haven't been the best son, brother, friend, or boyfriend, and I'm sorry. And if you can find it in your heart to forgive me, this is really hard writing this. There's so much I want to say, and I'm at a loss of words. Hi, Mom, Dad, Brittany, Jeremy, and Bailey. If you're getting this letter, then I'm sure you've already heard. I'm so sorry. Nineteen-year-old kid apologizing for his death and what it will do to his family. 
Lance Corporal Anthony Butterfield, Clovis, California, enlisted straight out of high school when a four Marines killed when a suicide bomber set off a propane truck in Rawa on July 29, 2006. Let me just read one more. Just, this is a three-page letter all spread out on, in Newsweek. This is written by Corporal Stephen Gill, Round Rock, Texas, 24. He once aspired to be a minister. But after September 11, he wanted only to join the Marines. He arrived in Iraq on his first tour of duty in March. And on July 21, he was killed by an IED near the village of Zaydan, southeast of Fallujah. Dear Mom, Dad, and James, if you're reading this, you will know that I am no longer here with y'all. I've been brought up in a loving Christian family that I thank God for every day. I was taught to fear and love God and to rejoice in the knowledge that His Son paid for my, all of my horrible sins that I have committed in my 24 years on this great planet. Up until this time, I've led an adventurous life that hasn't been perfect for the anger and tears that have been caused and shed on my behalf. I ask for all of you forgiveness. Know that I wish I could have done better, but I've cherished all my time with you all. And then one by one, he speaks to his family. What does death taste like before you even die? There's only one verse in all of Holy Scripture that speaks of the taste of death. And I want to turn there with you on this Easter weekend. Open your Bible, please, to the book of Hebrews, chapter 2. Just one verse in all the Bible. If you didn't bring a Bible, you've got to see this for yourself. Grab that pew Bible that's right in front of you. It's the same translation I'm using, the New King James Version. It's page 804 in your pew Bible. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 9. Hebrews 2, verse 9. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels, for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that He, by the grace of God, might taste death for everyone. Did you hear that, ladies and gentlemen? He came to this planet, one reason, to taste death for the entire human race. And what did death taste like to him? After all, it does say he tasted. He tasted death. What did it taste like? Was it as Hemingway described, the snapping of a cord inside his chest and then the sudden metallic on the edge of his tongue? You know, when, when you and I go to the Passion, as we will this weekend, or we, we watch a movie on the crucifixion, or we see some great artwork depicting that moment of Christ's death, it, it is only natural for us to... The taste, taste of death, I mean, that's pretty obvious, isn't it? What do you think death tasted like to Jesus? And what do we conclude? Immediately we conclude, well, you know, surely it tasted like this, this dry cotton rubbing on a swollen tongue inside a parched mouth. After all, he's pleading, I'm thirsty. Coagulated blood on crusty, bruised, and swollen lips. You ever taste blood? Of course you have. You've tasted your own blood. What does blood taste like? The taste of sweat salt, like sand in his puffy eyes, trickling down his cheeks to his torn lips, stinging the swollen tongue that tries to lick the salt away from the open cuts and bruises around his mouth. Whatever death tasted like, it must have been wretched to Christ. That's what we conclude. Stand before the cross. 
But that's just it for too many of us. For too long, we have defined Christ's taste of death as what happened at Calvary. And you know what? We're 12 hours too late. 12 hours late. Because the taste of death for the human race did not come at the cross. It came in a garden. The passion of the Christ had it absolutely right. The struggle between the sun and the serpent is most intense in that blue-shadowed moment in Gethsemane's garden. Desire of Ages, by the way, concurs. I'll put the words on the screen for you. Look at this. All heaven and unfallen worlds had been witnesses to the controversy. With what interest, intense interest, did they follow the closing scenes of the conflict? They beheld the Savior enter the garden of Gethsemane. His soul bowed down with the horror of a great darkness. They heard His bitter cry, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. As the Father's presence was withdrawn, they see Him sorrowful. Now notice this. Catch this. They see Him sorrowful with a bitterness of sorrow exceeding. Do you see that word? Exceeding that of the last great struggle with death on the cross. Calvary was exceeded, was exceeded by the sorrow that rent His heart in that shadowed midnight garden. They see it. Now read on. The bloody sweat was forced from his pores, fell in drops to the ground. Thrice the prayer for deliverance was wrung from his lips. Finally, heaven could no longer endure the sight, and a messenger of comfort was sent to the Son of God. Only Dr. Luke. Thank God for all four Gospels. Only Dr. Luke notes two details that are essential for a conclusion we must make about Gethsemane. Detail number one. He sweat great drops of blood. He sweat blood. Physicians will tell us there is documented the human agony that expresses itself in blood. And detail number two, only Luke tells us that an angel had to have been the angel Gabriel. Don't you suppose? An angel materializes at that moment. You know why? Here's Luke's point. Unsubtle point. Jesus is dying. He is dying in Gethsemane. In fact, if that angel had not come, he would have died died in that darkness. Desire of Ages concurs with Luke's implied conclusion. Look at Desire of Ages. The moment of supreme anguish. Look how, how it's described. Put it on the screen for you. He will save man and woman at any cost to himself. He accepts his baptism of blood that through him perishing millions may gain everlasting life. Having made the decision, note this, he fell dying to the ground. He was dying. He would have expired in that garden. Had not that angel appeared and said, no, 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 not yet. He fell dying to the ground from which he had partially risen. Now notice this. He had borne that which no human being could ever bear. For he had, we just read the words, for he had tasted the suffering of death for every man and woman. Where did he taste it? In Gethsemane. In Gethsemane. What does death taste like? It tastes like Gethsemane. That's what it tastes like. Read it again. Hebrews 2, verse 9. But we see Jesus was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that He, by the grace of God, might taste death for everyone. As the message renders this, in that death, by God's grace, He fully experienced death in every person's place. Why? Look at the next verse. Look at verse 14. I like the NIV on the screen there. So that by his death, 
Why did he die? So that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death. That is the devil. And free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. Remember that little Miriam Stone, co-ed at Columbia University? How did she put it? What does death taste like? And are you afraid? Are you? Are you? I got to tell you, I am not a real love story man. When I was a kid in college, uh, Eric Siegel came out with his book, Love Story, and I did read that, and it's a bit sappy, but it got me to cry. I don't read love stories. And then years later, halfway through ministry, a friend of mine told me about Sheldon Van Alken's book, A Severe Mercy. We were taking a summer doctoral class together, and so I immediately went out and bought the book and read it in just a few days, and oh my, it is a true story. It is a classic love story. Two kids born with silver spoons in their mouths, both of them going to an Ivy League college. They fall in love, madly in love, really. Two pagans in love with love. They're in love with love and in love with life. They marry. And then for graduate school, they decide to cross the ocean eastward to England. And they enroll at Oxford University. And as fate would have it, they meet a professor named Lewis, C.S. Lewis who befriends these two American pagans, and through his long friendship, eventually leads them to embrace Jesus Christ as their Savior. Sheldon and Davy, because that was her name, they return to the States for a career as an English professor. He teaches in a private college in Virginia. Whereupon, though... Though deeply in love with Christ and with each other, Davy contracted a mysterious disease. And the rest of the story, I tell you the truth, is the gut-wrenching love story of a love clinged to in the face of death. Until you come to that final moment, I'm sorry to break it to you, she dies. You come to that final moment in that silent hospital room And I tell you what, the reader has been so drawn into the circle of their love that the pain is almost palpable. Van Alken writes his friend Lewis back in England. The heartbreaking news of Davy's death and his subsequent struggle with God and suffering and thoughts of suicide. Lewis, the, the first letter back from Lewis, contains the phrase that became the title of this award winning book. C.S. Lewis writes of a severe mercy. Now, I'm not going to quote Lewis. I want to quote Sheldon Van Alken and put it on the screen for you. It was death, Davy's death, that was the severe mercy. There is no doubt at all that Lewis is saying precisely that, that death so full of suffering for us both, suffering that still overwhelmed my life, was yet a severe mercy. A mercy as severe as death, a severity as merciful as love. Did you catch that? A mercy as severe as death, a severity as merciful as love. Because, ladies and gentlemen, that is the truth about death. Is it not in Christ? Death will always come to us, always, as a severe mercy. Won't it? 
I've sat by the bed of a suffering child of God's. And so have you. I know you have. And there was no question in my mind, I have watched death up close for a few years of my life now. There was no question in my mind, and I am certain there was no question in your mind either, that for that child of God, death finally came as a bestowal of mercy. Didn't it? Yeah. Not death itself. She is still our enemy, death is. But the sleep of death. A sweet release. A quiet repose. A gift of mercy. A mercy as severe as death, a severity as merciful as love. Death and mercy for some, I understand this. For some, perhaps, death and mercy. But let's be honest, for most of us, most of the time, death and mercy, it seems sacrilegious to speak of them in the same breath. For most of us, most deaths are severe. No warning. No goodbye. No tender kisses. No nothing. Just gone. How dare we speak of death and mercy in the same breath for those deaths? The answer is we can only do so in Christ. A severe mercy. For what death could be more severe than Calvary's? And what resurrection could be more mercy than His? A severe mercy. Severe? Because it means goodbye. And mercy? Because it doesn't mean forever. A severe mercy. With Christ is the reason this Easter we still have hope. Let us pray. Oh God, and when I come to die, oh, when I come to die, and when I come to die, please, 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 give me Jesus.